0: Let's pray together. Lord, first, we pray for Jonas and Don and their family as they're going to plant this church, and we pray that you would give them great success for your kingdom and your glory, that as they share this vision with people, uh, that you would stir people's hearts to want to join them, and as they share the gospel with people and inform them about this new work of church planting that they're doing, that people would respond to that and they would be Hungry to hear the gospel and hungry to be part of the body of Christ. And Lord, as we're praying for Jonas and his family and their efforts to plant a church, it makes us think even more widely, more broadly. We pray for the other churches here in Maricopa that are gathering this morning. Um, Lord, we pray that they would bear fruit for your name, that people would come and hear the gospel, that Jesus would be lifted high, that lives would be changed. Um, We give you thanks for our brothers and sisters in Christ that gather in other places, and we give you thanks for those churches that are faithful to your word, and we pray for those churches that are less faithful and tempted to compromise, that you would give them the courage to stand on the truth of your word. And I pray for our church body here, Maricopa Springs Family Church, and I ask that as we look at your word this morning, as we make our end, our way to the end of 1 Peter, that you would encourage us in the face of suffering, that you would bless us and grow our love for you, that that love that we have would be manifest in um, just a deep faith in your goodness, a deep trust for you in whatever circumstances we might be going through. And so, Lord, would you bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 5, I'd love for you to open your Bible there if you're not there already. We're almost to the end of this book. Actually, we'll have one more week. So when we go camping, we'll finish up these last couple of verses. And what you can expect in that YouTube video, if you go that route, is that uh, we will cover these final verses in First Peter. Um, what we're going to do when we finish, so when we're back here together in two weeks, is we're going to begin an eight-week series through the parables of Jesus, which I'm very excited for. Uh, so before we read our verses together from first Peter, um, man, see, if you were in a family church, you wouldn't have this problem. Like if you were at Jonas's church, you in, in his living room, you wouldn't even need a microphone. No problem. Okay. So I want to just remind you before we read our verses of one of the major themes of first Peter, which you've heard me talk about a lot. And maybe at this point, you know, one of those major themes is suffering, 1 Peter deals a lot with suffering. The church that Peter was writing to was dealing with a lot of persecution from the Roman Empire, and they were hurting. And that's how we began. If you were listening to the scripture reading, Monica was dealing with that topic. And now as we get to kind of the final conclusion of the main body of Peter's letter, before we get to what I would call a postscript, we are going to hear Peter one more time remind us to stand firm in the midst of the trials and the suffering that we experience in this life. So basically, Peter is going to end up right back where he started. First Peter chapter five. Look with me at uh, starting in verse ten. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Like I said, this is kind of the, the, the end of the body here of Peter's letter. What a great way to end, right? I know there's the postscript in verses 12 through 14, but let's take these verses apart, shall we? Verse 10, I think, begins with two stages You have the suffering itself, and then you have what comes after the suffering when God restores and intercedes on behalf of his people to establish them. And I would say in many ways, verse 10 here is just a very brief summary of the opening of Peter's letter that you heard Monica read for us. And I think the final idea that Peter wants to leave with his audience is this. The suffering is temporary, but the glory is eternal. The suffering that we experience in this life, as bad as it may be, and I do not diminish that truth, it may be bad, it is only ever temporary. But the glory that awaits us in the life that is yet to come is eternal in nature, You cannot even comprehend it, which is why you tend to settle for the thing that's right in front of you instead of the glory that is yet to come, that is everlasting. The last big point of Peter's letter is an encouragement then for us to stand firm and look past this immediate stage that we are in of suffering so that we might see that blessing that is beyond it. And I'm sure that Peter knows, because he is human, how easy it is for us to lose sight of the eternal things when the pain is so immediate, so close, so near. How easy it is for us to fall into this trap of thinking about nothing else except the misery that we are currently walking through, the pain and hardship that is making our life difficult. Now we're going to get in a minute to the second stage where God ministers to us and establishes us and affirms us and intercedes for us. Before we do that, let's talk a little bit more about suffering as we close Peter's letter here. Here's a principle for you as you follow Jesus. It is necessary. You must embrace suffering in this life before you can embrace the glory of the next life. It will be necessary for you to endure suffering in this life before you can receive the blessing of the glory that God intends for his people in the next life. For all of us, suffering is part of the human condition. There is no way to escape it. No matter how much money you had or how much space you had or how much time you had or even how much power you had, there would be no way for you to escape the suffering of human life because the human condition now in this world as a result of sin is is brokenness, it's hardship, it's pain. There's no way around it. Yet for us as Christians, we have this hope That glory and honor and eternal life are on the other side of the suffering. I don't know how the materialists do it. I don't know how the evolutionists do it. I don't know how the atheists do it. Because for them, the, the message is life is hard and you die. For the Christian, the message is life is hard and then you live forever and ever and we can even say more than that because, as we've been talking about, as we've made our way through 1 Peter, the suffering that we experience and endure in this life is God's instrument, which He has ordained for you and for me because He loves us as His tool to produce in us the righteousness of Christ. So it's not as if we just have to suffer through life. No the Bible would have us understand the suffering itself becomes a blessing, shaping us to be like Jesus. And this is not just the teaching of Peter that he has made up in his letter that you can read. It is the teaching of Jesus, which Peter, as an apostle, received from Christ and is now passing on to us. So get this, even Jesus himself... Though he was the perfect Son of God, the beloved of the Father, because he was also fully human like you and I, he also suffered. Not for his own sin like you and I most often suffer. Jesus was innocent and pure, but because he was fully human, he still suffered, but he suffered your sin for your sake. And because we follow Jesus, we go where he goes. We have responded to his invitation to come to him and follow him and be his disciple. We go where he goes through the suffering of human life first, then into the glory that he has prepared for those who love him. In the same way that God the Father prepared for Jesus, first suffering and then glory. Suffering that came on the cross, followed by glory in the resurrection. Listen to these these things which Jesus himself taught, okay? Luke chapter 24, verse 26, Jesus said, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Yes, it was necessary. Because in God's plan for salvation, it was necessary for Jesus the great leader and founder of our faith, to suffer before he would enter into the glory that God prepared for him as the firstborn of the resurrection from the dead. The first of God's new recreation. It was necessary for Jesus to go through that because that was the Father's plan. John 16, verse 33 In the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promised that in this world, in this life, you would have tribulation, but take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. Trials and suffering are a part of what Jesus envisioned for your life, as you would follow him. But just as he himself faced those trials and sufferings, and he overcame them and conquered and was victorious, his promise to you as a believer is that you also will overcome the trials by virtue of his work and his power and his grace being yours in your life. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This then is the path that we must walk if our intention is to follow Jesus. Do not believe those preachers, those leaders, those teachers who say to you that the way of Jesus is comfort and ease and riches and blessing. All of that is ours in Christ Jesus in the life to come, but in the here and now, it is the cross. And what, my friends, is the cross? The cross is the symbol of suffering. That's what it is. You know, if you are a person who wears a cross necklace, think about the symbol that you wear around your neck it is death, it is pain. It is rejection. It is suffering. That is what the cross symbolizes. Christ suffered for us so that by His grace we might be redeemed from sin and death. And then because He suffered, the cross which we willingly take up to bear and follow Him becomes our suffering for His sake as we choose to commit our way to Him in order that we might die to ourselves so we might fully live to him. And for us as Christians, this is the way. Bearing the cross of our suffering as we follow Jesus who went before us. And fortunately, you don't actually have to even face the gruesome death of the cross. Like, you get off easy. You understand that? As difficult as your suffering is, you get off easy easy, because you're not going to bleed to death slowly, painfully, mocked by the crowds on the cross, tempted by Satan, crushed by the Father. Instead, you just have to go through this temporary suffering, faithfully walking in self-denial, seeking righteousness in a world of sin, which will result in suffering, What is laid upon you is the painful suffering of putting to death what is earthly in you, those desires that seek to corrupt you and lead you into ruin, so that instead you might live in accordance with the new divine nature that God has given you through the Spirit of Christ. We are called to face the suffering of being holy in a world that hates righteousness, the suffering of persecution and rejection for righteousness' sake. That is laid upon you and I. And why is it necessary then for us to suffer before we enter into glory? Well, not only because we follow Jesus, and that's the path that he took, that he invites us onto, but also because, my friends, it is this suffering that we go through that ultimately purges and purifies us from the sin nature that threatens to destroy us. The suffering, Scripture would have us know, is a pruning, purifying process. And it proves our sincerity to Christ. Your suffering says to God, I will give myself to you no matter the cost. Just as the cross of Christ is God saying to you, I will give myself to you no matter the cost. See, the Bible would have us know that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And therefore, all of us must be given over to the one who purchased us. And it is necessary then for us to suffer in following him because suffering is the tool of God's transforming power in our lives. It makes us weak, it makes us humble, it makes us dependent upon Him and His grace and His power, dependent upon Jesus and not upon our own righteousness, our own achievements, our own efforts, our own strength. Suffering is the medicine that rehabilitates our souls so that we become souls that are robust enough to endure for eternity the future weight of glory that Jesus intends to lay upon all of those who are faithful to him to the very end. And this is why then we can actually suffer joyfully. Because all of the good that God intends for us not merely in this life, but in eternity, all of the good that God is working up out of our suffering, here and now, in refining us to be like Jesus, and forevermore in the glory that awaits us. Through our affliction, we are being made into people who are like Christ in perfect righteousness. And what price would you not pay as a Christian to be like Christ in perfect righteousness? And we can rejoice in our suffering also because of the hope that we have about what comes after suffering. The promise that Peter mentions here that after our suffering, God will ultimately restore us. The end of your suffering is not misery or heartbreak or defeat. The end of your suffering is joy. It is victory. That is what God has promised. We're going to get to that more in a minute. I don't want to skip the part where Peter reminds us that our suffering is only for a little while. As hard as your suffering may be, I promise you it will pass. It will only last a little while. During the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, John Aquari from Tanzania managed to finish dead last in that race. Number 57 out of 57 competitors. An unimpressive feat, you might say. And yet, Aquari made headlines in the news around the world. Why would that be the case? Well, because his marathon run was anything other than ordinary. About halfway through the marathon, he fell. And in falling, he dislocated his knee. But rather than quit and give up, Aquari chose to continue running the last 14 miles of that race, enduring the excruciating pain of a dislocated knee. As I was reading this story, I was thinking, how is that even possible? Like, how do you even get your knee to move when it's d- dislocated? Anyway, the point is. It was brutal. And when he was asked at the end of the race, like, man, like you came in last anyway, what does it matter? Why did you even finish the race? Why would you put yourself through that kind of pain? And he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. God has you on this race to finish it. And you might ask, what could possibly drive some crazy person like John Aquari to run 14 miles enduring so much pain? Well, I think at least one of the things going through his head must have been, it won't last forever. It's only 14 miles. After all the miles that I have run as an Olympic marathon runner, what is 14 more miles? The pain will pass. And that should be our mindset as we suffer and we seek to press on to finish the race that God called us not only to start, but to be faithful in until the very end. It is only a little while. In the end, the pain will pass. And I don't doubt, like if you're sitting here and you're like, man, Grady, you just don't even know. You have no idea the pain of the suffering that I'm going through. I will admit that. I I probably don't. And I don't doubt that the suffering that you're going through might be extreme. I have said that in probably the two seasons of greatest suffering in my own life, for me it felt like being skinned alive. I don't know how else to explain it. It was just awful. My soul was in so much anguish. And yet still, whatever that suffering may be, it has a definite end. It will not last forever. Peter is not being insensitive here. He's not waving away your suffering as if it doesn't matter or it's insignificant. He is simply stating what is true. For you as a Christian suffering will not last forever. Be faithful to the end. And that's why Peter speaks this way to encourage us to look past the suffering to the glory that is beyond it. I'm embarrassed to say that right now, if you were to come to my house, well, it's probably like this at your house too, let's be honest. If you were to come into my office and you were to look through the windows that are right in front of my desk as I work, you would see that they're filthy, like, who can keep windows clean when there are dust storms that blow through? And they're like the worst because the, everything gets wet, and then the dust comes after and like sticks, okay? So when I sit at my desk, it can be easy to notice the dirt. But I'm going to confess to you, I hardly notice the dirt at all. Do you know why? Because just beyond the dirt where my eyes most often focus is the beauty of the landscaping of my front yard and my neighborhood. I don't see the dirt. Whenever I look at the windows, my eyes focus to what is beyond. And this is what we're being called to as Christians, to focus to what God has promised that is beyond. And think about this. Whatever your suffering may be currently and however long it may be lasting at the moment, think about how fast the days and the weeks of your life Stream by. Isn't it amazing? It feels like almost forever ago that some of those difficult seasons of my life passed. It flies. And the suffering too will pass in time, but the glory will last forever. I I don't know, but I imagine like maybe there will come a day in heaven where we'll be like, will it be like this forever? Really? But yes. And the reward at the finish line is worth the hobbling pain now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It's a little long, but let me read it for you. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul here is not being cavalier. He's not being calloused when he says to us, your affliction is light and momentary. He's simply viewing your current circumstances rightly in light of that eternal glory that God has prepared for those who love him and are faithful to the end. He says, there is no comparison between the affliction now and the prize that comes later. No comparison. The affliction of our suffering is tiny. The joy and the glory of our obedience is indescribable, immeasurable. So as hard as your suffering may be, remember, it can only last a little while. And then Peter tells us after that, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, I just spent, well, I put in my notes 10 minutes trying to convince you uh, that the, the suffering is worth enduring for the glory that comes after, but maybe it was more like 20 minutes, whatever, you get the point. But actually, I want you to see that... Peter is not only focused about the life that is yet to come. Peter points forward, but he also points to now, the here and now, that God is with us even in our present suffering. Notice that in verse 10, Peter does not say, and the God of future grace will in the future restore you. He says the God of all grace. God's grace is sufficient for you in your current need. In this moment of suffering, His grace is sufficient. And the truth is, the suffering that we endure, it is often too much for us, right? You've been through a season like that, where you're like, I think this thing is gonna break me. I think it's gonna be the end. It's too much. The feelings of despair and hopelessness, the need to quit and just give up, it seems too strong. We cannot possibly go on. But our God is not only the God of future grace, he is the God of all grace. The God whose grace is sufficient in this moment of our weakness and in this time of our need. The God who speaks comfort to his people in Isaiah 43. You remember this passage? God declares, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And so his grace, his power to persevere through our suffering God's grace is with us even as we limp along in this moment, not merely at the finish line, but now. And this is why Peter speaks of God's eternal glory in Christ, here in verse 10, pointing us forward to eternity, of course, but then he also uses the words confirm and strengthen, if you're reading the ESV. I want to think about these four words that the ESV uses here. Um, the premise, or the promise, sorry, is that God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I want to begin actually with those middle words because I think they support the point that I was just making, that God's grace is with us for the future glory, but also now in the present moment of hardship. The promise that we find here has a present and future reality to it. Think about this, okay? Okay. Why would you even need to be strengthened if Peter was only here talking about a future state? Something that is across the finish line. What do you need strength for at that point? You've made it. It's over. Actually, there's another way that you can kind of translate these two words, confirm and strengthen. I was kind of intrigued by this. Um, there's a Greek dictionary I looked this up in, and it says that these two words are very similar in meaning. They're almost the same word, actually. And they serve primarily to intensify this meaning of making persons more able to engage in or undergo certain experiences. So you could translate it kind of like this. God himself will strengthen and make you stronger For the race that you continue. To say it another way, Peter seems to be saying that in our suffering, not only do we have this hope for a future glory that will one day be ours, but that in this present suffering, God will minister to us to give us the strength that we need to continue to press on. And in fact, I would say to you, this is all the hope that you have to finish this race. What other hope do you have in your weakness? We don't have the capacity in ourselves to press on through suffering and to crawl across that finish line. But by God's grace, we are well supplied in God's love with all the strength that we need to joyfully continue to persevere and run on until the day that Christ calls us home to himself whatever the hardship or the trial or the difficulty might be along the way. And then when we cross that line, to whatever degree your weary flesh has wasted away and your bones have languished, to whatever degree your soul is wearied and wounded, to whatever degree your heart may be hurting or heavy because of the race that you have run, God himself will restore you. Do you believe that? God will give back to you all the joy and vigor that a life of suffering may have stolen from you, and he will give it back in generous measures beyond your comprehension. You will shed the scars and the trauma from the suffering of this life on that day and you will be remade into the glorious image of Jesus Christ to shine as you reflect his glory even brighter than the sun itself. That is the hope to which you run. And he will establish you so that never again will you be shaken or dismayed you will be rooted and anchored in His indelible love forever. You will never question whether God actually accepts you, receives you, forgives you, loves you. You will be established and no longer anxious, secure and no longer fearful. At peace and no longer turbulent, you will be in the light and no longer in the darkness, free and no longer burdened. And who will do this work for us, both in the suffering and at the end of it? You see it there, right? Peter says, God Himself. Now, do you understand what a privilege that is that Peter is teaching you? That God Himself would serve you and would minister to you in this way, like a medic rushing on to a dangerous battlefield. To throw your wounded body over his shoulder and carry you to safety. Do you understand that even at the beginning of his own ministry, not even Jesus received this kind of care from God the Father? Do you understand that? Think about this. When Jesus was driven out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and to be tested, to fast and be alone in his trial and his temptation, he suffered a great battle against your adversary, the devil. And after Jesus was victorious in that battle, 40 days, do you know what the text tells us? It says that angels came to minister to him. Now that would be a blessing, I'm sure, that if in your moment of need, angels came and ministered to you. That's quite a privilege. But look what Peter says. Peter would have you fix your eyes on something even above that, something greater. That after our battle against the adversary, the devil, God himself, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. By his redeeming grace, at the end of our suffering, We will be made unmoving and unmovable for all time and eternity, forever held in the love of God with all of that temporary, passable pain and suffering now healed in his love. God himself will do an all-encompassing work to cover our pain. And this is why Peter brings the main body of his letter to a close with these, with these words right here. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now this word dominion is a word that I really love. I mention it often in our time together in teaching that Christ is king over all things. He is king now and he is king forever. Even in your suffering he remains king of kings. He has dominion over our hearts because we have trusted him and submitted to him even in the face of our suffering. But he also has dominion over the hearts of all those who live this life in rebellion against him because he is in the process of bringing all things into submission to his will. And he will rule over nations and kings. He will rule over billionaires who think themselves untouchable, and he will rule over politicians who think they are powerful. He rules even now over all powers that are visible in the material world and all powers spiritual. His dominion is an everlasting dominion without rival, without enemy, A dominion that he establishes with nothing more than just the word of his power. This word dominion that Peter uses here, it's it's actually kind of a unique word. It's never used in the New Testament to refer to people and their power and their dominion. It is uniquely reserved for a greater dominion. It speaks of an absolute supremacy with power to control and rule and reign with an unrivaled authority. That dominion belongs to God forever and ever. And that, my friends, is one more wonderful encouragement for you in the midst of your suffering, isn't it? Because when you're suffering, don't you wonder, like, who's driving this crazy train? Is there anyone even actually in control? And yes, Jesus has the dominion. One final reminder here at the end of Peter's letter that all will be well because Christ is King. And we have this confidence not only because Peter teaches us to have this confidence but even more because Jesus went before us in this journey that we are on. He himself suffered a little while. Suffering that you cannot even fathom. And God poured out his grace upon his beloved son to give him endurance for the race. And God poured out his grace upon Jesus to restore him after the suffering was finished. And God established him and God gave to him this name that is above all names. God crowned him with glory and seated him in the heavenly places giving Jesus this dominion and power over all things. So that all that's left then for you and I in the midst of this trial is to believe, to trust, to obey, to hope and to follow. Since Christ has gone before us, we believe the outcome is sure. Let us hold fast to that faith. Let's pray. God, would you hold us fast? And we thank you, Jesus, that you do have all dominion and all authority. Lord, I pray for any of those present here in this room or even watching on our live stream, that God, if they are suffering, that they would trust and believe that the suffering is only for a little while. And that on the other side of that is all of the hope that we have, that you will confirm us and strengthen us and restore us. And so, Lord, whatever trials or difficulties we might go through, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, running this race with faithfulness, confident of his victory, and eager for the hope that we have in the resurrection. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.